Good morning, Davenport, Iowa. How you guys doing today? My name is Leonard Jones, and let me welcome you to the third episode of the Black Conscience Podcast. I hope you guys are staying healthy, safe and healthy during these times, of course. Um, to give you a little synopsis, the Black Conscience is a 30-minute podcast that features the discussion between me and an expert on a certain topic pertaining to black history or culture. This week we'll be discussing black theology, and today I have with me Lisa Powell, who is the Department Chair of Theology here at St. Ambrose University. During these talks, I'll be asking the expert boundary-pushing questions in order to reach a new level of understanding through conversation. The purpose of this podcast is to educate the St. Ambrose community on African-American history and bring light to the many, many tragedies African-Americans still deal with every day due to the pressure system set up against us. This is in hopes of developing a conscious way of thinking while also informing the community on the tremendous amount of untold history. This is the opportunity for us to move forward through education, conversation, and communication. But enough of me talking. Now I have our guests introduce themselves. Hello. How are you, Lisa? I'm okay. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So just to give the audience a little um, background information about yourself, what would you like to tell the people listening today? I am a professor of theology at St. Ambrose. My specialization um, are theologies of liberation, and um, I have the joy and privilege of teaching a course on uh, liberation theology, a course on racial justice in the Christian faith, among other classes. So once again, I really appreciate you coming today and taking the time to speak with me. Um, so to jump right into it, I'll ask you the first question. Um, for those who do not know, what is black liberation theology and what does that term mean? Well, black liberation theology is um, a branch, I guess, of Christian theology that interprets uh, the Christian faith and the the gospel generally in terms not only of spiritual liberation, which is sort of a more classic um, way of thinking about um, Christianity, that you're liberated from sin, death, and the devil, um, but that it also includes material liberation. So you um, are also liberated from um, oppressive structures and, and bondage in the social and material realm. So with a lot of, well, so with black liberation theology, in a sense, a lot of it go into the Protestant category of non-denomination? I, I, yes, it is primary. I mean, the black church tradition mm -hmm. um, is, is typically in the sort of Protestant branch of Christianity. So um, the black church tradition you just broke off of um, the Methodist Church, so we have the black churches that that um, are associated with sort of the history of Methodism, um, and also a lot of of Baptist <laughs> churches, but Pentecostal churches as well. Okay. Yeah. So I'll ask you um, a next question: What could you tell us about Dr. James Hall Cone? Yeah. Well, he's. <laughs> there, I, I just read his autobiography this summer, so. Oh, I probably could could tell you more than we have time for in um, in our discussion here today. But you know, he's considered really the father of Black liberation theology. Mm -hmm. um, the the most um, important historical figure in in the movement of Black liberation theologies published many books. Um, I I probably should have looked up the exact number, but many, and they're translated. And I did look this up. Uh, 
over nine languages. So he's really a, um, a very well-known scholar, not only in the U.S. context, but really globally recognized as a really important voice in theology and Christian theology generally, not only in Black liberation theology, but its influence spans um, across uh, Christianity and, and theology as a discipline. Oh, wow, so nine languages? He, yeah, I've been translated, yeah, in nine wow. languages. So I yeah. ask you, in a speech given at UTS in New York City um, in February 2016, Dr. Cohn spoke about how white theology has the blood of their black brothers and sisters on their hands. Um, I'll ask you, what do you think Dr. Cohn meant when he said that <laughs> phrase? <laughs> yeah, well, that, I'm assuming um, UTS is probably Union Theological Seminary, mm -hmm. which is where he taught for most of his career. Um, and... Yeah, so he, he has also published an article on theology's great sin, Silence in the Face of White Supremacy, is, is the title of, of one of his many publications. Um, and in that piece, uh, he's very explicit about um, the sin of silence that white theologians have just chosen not to address race and racism and um, have just ignored um, the racism that um, persists yeah. um, in the U.S. context, um, especially. So um, their blood is on the hands of, of white theologians because they never spoke out against it to um, try to bring the Christian church in a clear stance in opposition to um, the dehumanization of black brothers and sisters. Um, in Christ, and because they didn't, because of their silence, it persists. I mean, we see it today. You know, we see all of these white Christians who support um, a political system that denies the existence of racism, um, that denies um, the oppression of people of color in our country, and because Christianity has had, we've had, you know, centuries to to reckon with the the not only the complicity of Christianity in structures of uh, of racism, but the explicit construction yeah. of racist structures, and you know Christianity's had yeah centuries to reckon with it, deal with it, call it out, and make real changes. And instead, most theologians just think it doesn't pertain to them; that it's not. Um, not part of their job. It's not what they do. They just talk about God, you know, they talk about the church in some sort of abstract way, um, but don't draw the connections to what that means about how we live in the world and how we treat one another and about, I mean, political change. Um, some of the great theologians of liberation will be quick to remind us that Christianity has political implications. There's political yes. implications to the gospel and, and theologians have not, um, been prophetic enough, many, you know, many, most, there are a few exceptions, and, and Conal um, also, you know, does reference those few who have spoken up, for the most part, have not spoken up prophetically um, about that. So I ask yeah. you. So I, yeah, <laughs> sorry. No, you're fine. So I ask you, um, do you believe this new way of thinking, so this black liberation theology came from the enormous amount of black blood spilled from white theology? So... Um, maybe an example that will um, be able to help you grasp that. So 
Um, I know one way people talk about how different verses were used in the Bible to um, make slaves believe that they were meant to be slaves and then how um, I be- Nat Turner was one of those slaves who used to go around and teach slaves mm-hmm. about how um, you were meant to be a slave and that just way of thinking that just the the it, it's more com- and that complex way of um, messing with the mental of it and then how it goes down generation do you believe in a sense that in a sense hope well, not helped, but um, contributed to the enormous amount of blood spilled. That Christianity did? Yes. Well, from white theology, in a sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, so Christian theology mm-hmm. was just white theology for, <laughs> you know, for a really long time. Yeah. Um, for the most part, it was, you know, European and... Um, they, I mean, explicitly used Christianity to justify slavery. So you had, um, you know, how can you be a Christian and justify the treatment of other people um, like beasts, yeah. right? Um, and so they, they claimed that they were bringing salvation to the peoples of Africa and to indigenous peoples in the United States. Um, so yeah, Christianity was explicitly used to to try to appease, um, to I don't know, to calm the conscience of of white slaveholders and say that you're actually doing a, a service. To it's insane, uh, but um, so yes, I do I do think that Christianity um, has a lot of blood on its hands, not only because of slavery, but for other for other injustices in the world as well, but without a doubt, yeah. So you kind of touched on it a bit uh, when you said, talked about salvation. So um, leading to the next question, um, so um, I'll ask, how was, and more explicitly, was Christianity used in an attempt to justify and pacify enslaved Africans? Well, so, yeah, so the, the version of Christianity that was, so the the only way they could justify mm-hmm. it is if they actually were preaching yeah. to, to slaves, and they had missionaries, you know, to, to, Af- to enslaved Africans, and um, so the gospel that they would preach is one of, you know, you if you live your life, the life that has been allotted to you here, and are obedient and submissive um you get you get a mansion in heaven right so you're just hanging on with this life um so that you can get you know you can get to heaven and heaven is this great promise of reward um yeah so that so that's one way that christianity was was manipulated for that purpose um they also i mean they passed laws to to make it explicit that if if slaves were baptized that it while it might change their status in the kingdom of god it does not change their status in the material social world today so there there was legislation in virginia early on to to make it clear so that slaveholders could feel okay about baptizing their slaves about you know Mm -hmm. the missionary reaching to the slaves because they were really worried that if their slaves are baptized, that it would make them equal, right? Because you would, you know, we are all, there's neither slave nor free, male nor female, <laughs> Gentile nor Jew in Christ Jesus. I mean, mm-hmm. that's in, that is in Galatians. So, 
um, this idea that if you're baptized into Christ, that you become part of the body of Christ together. And so there was this real nervousness about about allowing slaves to truly convert and be baptized because you would assume that it would mean they can't be slaves anymore, that they're they're equal to. So um, so they had to make it very clear that um, your baptism does not mean you're you're free. See, and I never yeah. knew that. Mm. Well, so I'll ask yeah. you, um, so do you believe the effects of this attempted justification and pacification still impact the African-American community today? And I'll ask, if so, how? Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I saw that question um, earlier today. I was like, oh, that's a... <laughs> Um, so I'll give it um, to, I, I don't, okay, go ahead. to better yeah. help. Maybe um, I know that's one thing that people talk about. Um, maybe like um, PTDs, PTSD, African-Americans still deal with every day due to like from slavery. So I know um, I know one thing that could have that um, believed was formed from slavery. Um, this is an example that doesn't really relate to the topic, but like colorism. How the, in the black community, there's colorism yeah. um, in the sense how um, light skin versus dark skin, how you will have like a house slave and a field slave, um, a light skin version of the house slave mm-hmm. was um, in the house. I mean, a light skin version of African American was in the house while the dark skin African Americans were in the field. But then how that um, stigmatism, st- stigmatism still lasts to this day. So, and it says, is there still some uh, stigmatism that still lasts from um, justification, pacification of the African American community when it comes to? the white Christianity, yes. Yeah, I mean, I I think the reason I said I was kind of uh-huh. um, tripping over this one was because I, as a white woman myself, uh, don't feel like my place is to uh, critique the black church. Yeah. Um, so um, I do think that there are some um, aspects. I mean, I could I could talk more about sort of the emergence of the black church that um, because black men, for example, couldn't have um, real professions beyond agriculture, sort of a, a professional or sort of white collar mm-hmm. job. One of the, one of the only jobs that were open to educated, you know, black men was, um, was pastoring. So pastoring mm-hmm. in a black church. So you have, um, so the emergence of the black church was so important for for black men to be able to be leaders and to have a, a profession beyond just sharecropping, which is one of the only things that, that at least especially in the South was, was open to them. Um, but what it, what it did create in some ways was, um, you know, a, a replication of sort of a patriarchal church structure. So, so you do see, um, some black churches that are not open to women's leadership yeah. and that are uh, much more homophobic than, you know, than I would like to see in terms of liberation theology, you know, liberation theology, which is really about um, freedom from mm-hmm. systems that, that oppress. Sometimes you still have um, systems of oppression within, within that um, because of the way it was developed. And so you still have, you know, a, oppression of, LGBTQ um, people in some in some black churches, and and as I said, um, some resistance to the leadership of black women yes. um, in the church. So I do think that is um, part of the legacy of yeah of of the way that, that the black church um, emerged. 
at the time it did. So I have a question for you, and this is about to throw you all off guard. So I just want to get you mm, ready okay. for it. So um, okay. I, you made me think of this example of um, Plato's Cave and how in mm -hmm. um, Plato's Cave you have those three prisoners tied up to the chain but they're tied up looking at the wall and they can only see the shadows passing behind them that's created by the fire mm -hmm. and it made me think of like how um if you look at it this way religion is the um well i don't say religion but um christianity in the bible they're creating this um perception with the fire these images like or these shadows perceiving it to these people who are chained up and not giving them the in a sense full truth if that makes sense so example of that would be mm -hmm. um how they pick certain texts to go into the bible and how does it like and, and this is all like the council mm -hmm. and everything and mm -hmm. of course and um how there's certain texts left out the bible and how when you leave certain things and put certain things in, it creates this type of perception and it creates this type of thing and and you just speaking about that and um really made me think about how in a sense like this perception has been passed down for so so long and really how it's been um developed and developed in more um conscious way if that makes sense um but i'll actually um that was just kind of me going off a of rambling really just thinking about so in a sense um what if how this could have been played with in the mind of African-Americans, say the same way they played with the fire in the sense to control the images to the prisoners. What mm -hmm. images were created for African-Americans when it comes to like, and it's not a question I was um, in since asking you. It was, just, <laughs> it was just a question I yeah. thought of. I mean, I do want to like be fair to the black church tradition mm -hmm. in that like most of Christianity is still, you know, homophobic and, resistant to women's leadership. So I, I don't want to single out the black church in that regard. Oh, I, um, I just think that there is sort of a, a replication of that structure. Mm -hmm. um, and you'd hope for a, a church that is really rooted in liberation, that that it would challenge the white church to, to, um, to embrace liberation and more fully than, than the white church has so far. But, um, yeah, you know, you mentioned the sort of the shadow and that Christianity is, you know, potentially just showing um, the African slaves um, the shadow side of Christianity or something. But and you mentioned that Turner earlier as well. I mean, one of the um, amazing things about Black liberation theology, as it traces its roots all the way back to the way that African slaves mm -hmm. reappropriated the Christian story, so even though white slaveholders were teaching them one form of Christianity, that is not the Christianity, by and large, that, that went over mm -hmm. um, African peoples. Um, and so like Nat Turner and his slave rebellion, he understood himself as a Moses. And he used a lot of scripture to encourage that, that rebellion to rise up against the Pharaoh, you know, to yeah. let my people go and to, to seek freedom by whatever means necessary. And um, so you have just this incredible tradition of African peoples reading the story of the Israelites, you know, of the Hebrews, um, as God's chosen people who were enslaved, and understanding themselves to be called by God to seek freedom and using Scripture to... Um, affirm their human dignity, to affirm their humanity, their belovedness of children of God, and to empower them to 
seek their liberation. I mean, I just watched um, Harriet um, a couple months ago and, you know, and, and her, um, them calling her Moses as well. Um, and just the, the way that Christianity was, was used <laughs> to encourage and empower movements for freedom, I think is, is one of the, at least for me personally, one of the saving graces of, of the Christian religion, because it's hard to devote yourself to a religion that you know has been used yeah. in such oppressive ways. Um, it's only because there are people like Cone and the tradition that he taps into that allows sort of the rest of us to say, okay, there's something, there's something more here than, than a system that's used to control and manipulate and, and oppress people for monetary or gain or for power, but, but there's something really beautiful in, in a, this gospel that's about, you know, God's solidarity with the oppressed and the the poor and the marginalized. Yes, and it's just like you said, yeah. it, um, it takes a strong individual like Dr. Cohn to, in a sense, look at something that's been used in such an oppressive way and trying to find the good out of it and trying to find the good to teach other people so then it can inspire other people for good and not the same oppressive thing that it used to do. So that leads into, mm -hmm. um, and this is my next question, I'll ask, um, how do you think black liberation th theology played a role in the civil rights movement? Yeah, so that's an interesting question, because the term black liberation theology wasn't really coined mm -hmm. until the late 60s. Okay. Um, so um, Cohn's first book, um, Black Theology and Black Power, I think it was written, um, published right around 1968. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then his next book, A Black uh, Theology of Liberation, came out after that. So... Um, so there's sort of a nascent form of black liberation theology, but maybe not by that particular name. But um, yeah, like people like Howard Thurman, in a way, who was really thinking about their Christian faith um, in terms of uh, segregation and racial oppression. And that was in the 40s and 50s. So um, a predecessor, sort of an inspiration to Martin Luther King Jr. Mm -hmm. He's a great example. He wrote a great book called Jesus and the Disinherited. So people who are already um, reading the story of Jesus and, and seeing Jesus's identification with the marginalized and the outcast. Um, so, so that was there. And I just finished reading um, this summer um, how to be an anti-racist. Mm -hmm. So Kendi's book, it has a lot of memoir woven into it as well. And he talked about how black liberation theology really inspired his parents. Um, so you, so you do see um, that the, that movement and the black power movement that, that Cone tapped into sort of seeing somehow how um, Christianity and black power could, could be read together side by side and, and inform each other. Um, so, I don't, I mean, I think that it wasn't called Black Liberation mm -hmm. Theology, maybe explicitly at the time, but certainly there were people who were interpreting the Christian faith. I mean, since the time of slavery, we were interpreting mm -hmm. the Christian faith for liberation. So, yeah. So I asked you, um, you mentioned um, earlier about some of the pieces of literature that Dr. Cohen released. So mm -hmm. I will, um, I asked you, how powerful do you believe those pieces were? And I will ask, do you believe those pieces of literature laid down a foundation Dr. Cohn, bigger than Dr. Cohn could ever believe? Yeah. Um, 
I, you know, reading his autobiography this summer was was really interesting. Just the sort of the hurdles that he had to overcome to, you know, get a PhD in theology in the '60s and to pursue to pursue higher education during that time. You know, he he's from Arkansas, from the segregated South. Um, so he he lived th- through some of the worst of it, you know, and to to assert his um, his intelligence and his ability to master this discipline that has been dominated by white Eurocentric thinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's it was, it, and then to just boldly proclaim, you know. <laughs> black theology and black power like really early in his career um, was amazing. He, um, his, he said in his book that his, the book that he is most proud of, it was one of the last books that he published was the cross and the lynching tree, um, which has had a huge impact on the way that people are thinking about the cross and interpreting the cross today. Um, yeah, I don't think he ever would have guessed that he would be, you know, a world-renowned um, yeah. figure like he was. Um, unfortunately, he passed away um, a year or two ago. Yeah, just yeah, maybe over a year ago. So yeah, the last question I I asked you today. Um, so, what can all Christian? This is um, Christian Orthodox Christians, Catholic Christians, and Protestants in different denominations. What can all different Christians learn from this perspective? Well, I think I hinted at it a little bit earlier, um, and I think maybe I'll just sort of give my testimony a little <laughs> bit here um, as as someone who who was you know raised a very devout. Um, Protestant mm-hmm. Christian um, thought maybe I was going to be a missionary. I mean, I was <laughs> serious. Um, wow. And as I went, you know, went to seminary and started doing more and more um, graduate level work in Christianity, understanding more of the history of um, some some of the hard, terrible points in in Christian history. And I, I was mm-hmm. particularly interested in Latin America and, and my mm-hmm. first book. Um, I don't have a second book out yet, but I say that because I'm working on my second book, but was on, um, was on a Mexican woman, Sor Juana Inez de la Cruz. So I was really interested in, in the history of Christianity mm-hmm. in Latin America and in the Americas. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's mostly pretty awful. And you have these few prophetic voices, um, during those periods. Um, and I sort of was despairing. Mm-hmm. Like I, I felt like what I was, what was being uncovered about this religion that I utterly loved. And that's not that I loved the religion, but I loved the message of mm-hmm. Jesus. I mean, I loved Jesus, you know, and, um, I was really despairing. Like, what is this? This is super messed up, you know, mm-hmm. that it was used to manipulate and control and I didn't trust it. You know, I just, I felt like I didn't know what its purpose was actually. And maybe it really was about power and land and money. Yeah. Ultimately that it had been sort of taken away from who Jesus was. And I wasn't sure that Christianity was worth, <laughs> was worth it anymore. 
Um, and then, thank goodness, or thank God, I guess I should say, I um, I was introduced to Cohn and Cohn and Gustavo Gutierrez, who's um, uh, Latin American liberation, the sort of the father of Latin American, the Latin American version of liberation theology, and and there I found a message um, that I could believe in, that I could get behind, and and it was it saved my faith, quite frankly. Um, so. You know, I think what what Christians can learn from this perspective is I think it peels away some of the the layers of of dogma that have manipulated Christianity and obscured the message of Jesus. I mean, that's one of the great contributions of Cohn um, in his book um, God of the Oppressed, which was published in 1975, um, was his claim that Jesus is black. Um, he says that if Jesus, in 1975 when he wrote it, if Jesus were here, like Jesus mm-hmm. is is here, because Jesus is risen, so Jesus is here with us today. And because Jesus is here with us in the United States in 1975, he mm-hmm. says, Jesus is black. That's, a, that's the appropriate Christological title for Jesus, because Jesus is always one of the oppressed. Yeah. And he, he really emphasizes the Jewishness of Jesus and what it meant for Jesus to be a Jew in the first century, um, the history of the Hebrew people from, you know, from exile, from slavery, from homeless wandering in the wilderness, um, this history of just struggle. And and then, you know, Jesus' own time in the first century oppressed by the Roman Empire and mm-hmm. um, and really emphasized Jesus' Jewishness and what that meant for his identity and the, and so I, I, what Cohn does is he brings us back to the history of Israel. He really emphasizes Jesus's ministry, who Jesus was, and what it meant for Jesus to be who he was in his time period. And um, so I think what all Christians can learn is to get back in touch with who Jesus really was and who Jesus was in his context as a first century um, Jewish, poor Jewish man from Galilee. Um, so we can all get a better, you know, better in touch with who Jesus is. And then as a Christian, um, better help us direct our lives to be like Christ or to imitate Christ or or to live according to his kingdom or his, the reign of God, as Jesus described it. So, I, I mean, I just think it really points us back to Jesus and what Jesus really revealed to us about the nature and being of God. So there's a lot. There's, I mean, it's like, I love it so much. Like, I could go on and on. And, no, yeah. I think you answered that perfectly. Um, so um, once again, I'd like to thank you, Lisa, for joining the podcast today, um, having this discussion with me. It truly means a lot. And with these continuous conversations, we are taking the small steps to combat ignorance and hate with positivity and education. Um, we are also beginning the development of conscious thinking through diversity and education that could one day help us understand the philosophy the philosophy behind people's racial bias way of thinking. Um, I would like to thank everyone who made this possible with a special thanks to St. Ambrose 88.5, 106.1 FM KALA radio station, the St. Ambrose Coke John Foundation, and St. Ambrose Cabinet and Administration. I would like to give one more special shout-out to St. Ambrose Black Student Union, whose meetings are held on Wednesdays at 7.15 p.m. in the Rogowski Ballroom, room number 7, to the right. 
Um, thank you for tuning in today. We continue. Well, I hope you continue to stay safe and healthy, and we shall see you next time. Have a blessed day.